The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Father, we come now thankful for your word, that you revealed your purposes and your plans and your character to us in it. So as we come this morning, we do come with expectation that you will help us through your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to see and follow Jesus more this morning. So help that happen. Help us. Lead us into truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're coming to kind of the the end of this section that's been about trials and suffering and being a Christian in the midst of the world and trials and suffering and then we're going to kind of move next week into the the last words of Peter, kind of the final uh, tying up all of the things he wants to say to this church over the next month or so. And what Peter has continued to do is to remind this people kind of relentlessly of who they are and what they're called to do. In other words... Their itinerary in life, where they go, what they do, is meant to flow out of their identity in life, who they are as the household of God in a place that is not home. That's what he keeps trying to show us. Who you are should flow out into where you go and what you do. And this is a people facing suffering coming at them from the outside and facing sin that rises up from the inside. And I find it so helpful and so profound and so simple that the way Peter's going to end this section in verse 19 is simply to call us, to call them to trust God. That's the call. Trust God. So so why? Why would he end that way? That's where we're going to end today, but why would he end that way? Let's diagnose our hearts. Well, One reason he'd end that way is because he knows that's the key to faithful endurance for suffering and for sin. How does he know that? Because he knows his Savior. We've already seen in chapter 2 these words. So as you hear Peter in verse 19 to us, listen to where he's getting it as he looks at Jesus in chapter 2. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. How did Jesus face suffering, and in that suffering, temptation to sin, with trust in His Father. Remember last week we talked about identifying with the suffering of Christ as He cried out, Abba, Father, in the garden, about to head to the cross. Jesus could cry out like that because He had ultimate trust in the plan and character of His Father because of a perfect relationship forged in eternity past into the present a relationship where father and son delighted in one another in perfect love. And now Peter's saying, we've been born again. 
to a living hope as children of God, sons and daughters of the Father and fellow heirs with Christ. That is an amazing identity. Our temptation to sin or to walk away from God in suffering, our temptation to sin or to walk away from God in suffering will ultimately come because we just don't trust God. It's that simple and that profound. Now, none of us would come out and say, I just don't trust in God. But when our future seems uncertain, when our comforts seem shaken, when we find that Christianity is no longer popular but seen as foolish, when we're sick and tired of fighting the fight against sin, is our instinct to draw near to God, our Father, because of our relationship with Him. Now, see, I'm one of you. I'm a good, reformed Calvinist. But I I would never say out loud that I don't trust God, but I don't want to leave us there because I know my own heart well enough. So here's the real question. Do you spend more time with the Lord fixing your eyes on Him and trusting Him in it? Or do you spend more time running to news reports or the latest polls or the latest social media update and seek to find your comfort there? And just for clarification for everyone, I really don't hate social media. (laughs) But I do hate how often it distracts us, how often our souls run to it, how much we go there before we go to God. None of those things, running to news reports, the latest polls, the latest social media feed, none of those are bad things unless we make them ultimate things. Unless we make them things that are before God, the place we go to first. None of those are bad things unless they replace God as our refuge and we need certain news besides the good news of Jesus Christ to comfort our soul. So just ask yourself that question honestly. There's no hiding it. God knows already. Do you find more comfort when you wake up and remember, I'm a child of God. I have an internal inheritance. Or do you find more comfort when a news report you read makes you feel like we're heading in the right direction. Apply that phrase to any topic you want to. What actually brings more comfort to your souls? And here's what will subtly happen and you won't even know it. And I know this because it happens to me. As you run to those other things, you'll begin to feel a little distant from God. And as you begin to feel distant from God, you'll look around at the world and begin to, to doubt Him. Where is He? What's He doing? And you won't even know this or say it out loud, but you begin to think, are you in this? Are you with me? You'll neglect His offer to draw near to Him and find rest for your soul, and then you'll blame Him as you seek rest in other places. You'll be restless in your suffering and uncertainty rather than settled and certain. And what happens after you do that for a little while. Well, what happens when we're distant from God? Well, sin creeps in. Distance and practical distrust do not usually breed the fruit of the Spirit. So so let me ask you this question. As you run to those other places and post all those articles and dive deep in that world for hours, do you feel love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control just bubbling up out of your soul? 
like, man, after I hang out there for a couple hours, it's just the fruit of the Spirit just exploding out of my soul. I don't. As distance from God goes on, we begin to be disobedient to His call because we're disoriented from His purposes. His glory, His name, He rules. He turns a king's heart like a stream of water. In other words, as we forget to lean into our identity as children of the King of Kings first, and as we forget who we are, then our itinerary, where we go and what we do, begins to get messed up as well. And so Peter is going to reorient our hearts with this word today so that we can draw near to God and bear fruit for His name. So Peter wants, you will see over and over again, I keep saying this, he's not mainly concerned with them changing their circumstances. He's, he's not mainly concerned with them winning the culture war. He's just not. You just won't find it in First Peter. What you'll find is a, a passion to reorient them around their identity and their inheritance so that in the midst of wherever they live, they know it's not their home and yet they're passionate to glorify God in this place. So let's go to point number one. Live for the glory of God. I want to remind you where we were last week because 12 to 19 is really one section. Peter told them not to be surprised, but to rejoice in suffering as they share in the sufferings of Christ. And then he ended with this beautiful promise that the Holy Spirit would be with them to empower their rejoicing in the midst of suffering. Sharing in the suffering of Christ, Peter said, is the path to glory with Christ. And the Holy Spirit will be with us to help us walk in it. However, Peter in this text today wants to remind us that not all suffering is equal. So look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. We already saw that when they follow Jesus, they'll be called evil. That still happens today. The world thinks Christians are unloving, narrow-minded, and would probably say our views are, on various moral issues are evil by the standards of the culture we live in, and I would just say, that's okay. That's to be expected. We follow Jesus. He's the King. We're not surprised. And we know that we'll get help from the Holy Spirit for that suffering as we take up our cross and follow Jesus. However, here, Peter is calling believers to not give themselves over to sin. The point here as has been the point in this whole section, is to not give the outside world obvious evil behavior to point at and say, see, we told you. Those Christians are wicked. Look at their evil doing. Look at their their murderers. They're meddlers. And we've seen this, sadly, in recent news over the past years and even over the past months and even the past weeks with various Christian leaders. And you felt this in your heart as you read the headlines. Right? In those big national cases, it's obvious to see, right? The, the hypocrisy makes us all frustrated that Christians are doing stupid things and giving us a bad name. But, sometimes we divorce that on the national scale from what we're all prone to do in our little lives here. Do we do this in small ways in our lives? Perhaps, and I hope, I hope this is true, we don't actually murder anyone. 
but we're such an angry presence on our social media pages or our staff meetings or in our small groups that it doesn't smell like the name of Jesus. It just reeks of hypocrisy. We don't murder anyone, but in our souls there's a, a constant burning anger towards those around us. Perhaps we don't steal any physical property, but do we work hard at our jobs? Do we work the hours we're supposed to? Do we do it with joy and excellence? Or do we steal company time and and find ourselves complaining against our bosses and finding ways around hard work instead of working heartily unto the Lord so that people might ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you? You want to shine the glory of Christ? Just work hard at your job. Doesn't happen that often. Even when work is hard, do they see your joy in the Lord? Do they look at you as just another person joining in the complaining and the grumbling and the laziness at the office? So here we see murder. We get that. That's bad. And then next to that one, Peter puts meddling, which just seems way down here, doesn't it? But, but ask yourself, do you always need to know things? Know what's going on in other people's lives. Know what they're doing and and why they did it. Do you need to be on the in and get involved in things that aren't yours to know or do? Or do you do your best wherever God has called you, in your home, at your job, and then keep yourself from meddling in gossip about others? What a a testimony it is at the workplace or at the co-op or in the, the pr- mystery prayer request, if Christians would say, that, that's not mine to know. I don't need to know that. I, I want to I walk away from that and go do what I'm called to do. And then he just expands this. He's, he's thinking, if I missed anyone, what about any kind of evil doing? And the point is, when we do things that are actually evil, it brings shame on the name of Jesus. It mocks the new birth that has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It shows that our hope is in other things. It fills the places that we're in with hypocrisy instead of holy beauty. Now, we're not going to be perfect when we make mistakes, when we don't have integrity, when we give in to sin. It's a great opportunity to shine forth the beauty of Jesus and His gospel in confession and repentance. But He's calling them, don't give in to sin, and bring shame on the name of Jesus when your call is to be different. A holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people of His own possession. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Therefore, live in such a way that as others see your good deeds, they glorify God on the day of visitation. And living for the glory of God is what this is all about. Look at verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So this is a call to shining forth the beauty of the kingdom of God. And if we suffer for following Jesus, Peter would say contrary to how it feels in that moment in the world, there's no shame. Notice something here that is different than the world. The opposite of shame in the world is pride or self-esteem. In other words, I'm not ashamed in the worldly concept of it because I can be proud of myself. And others will think 
well of me. But in the Christian life, the opposite of shame is not my self-esteem or, or my pride about me. It is the glory of God. I'm not ashamed, even if others think low of me, even if I should be shamed according to the world, because my behavior shines forth the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Paul says something similar in Philippians as he talks about his suffering. In Philippians 1.20 he says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now is always Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul says, not at all ashamed. Why? Because everyone likes him and thinks well of him? No. No shame because Christ will be honored in his suffering. His whole life is sold out for Christ. His whole identity, his whole itinerary is for Christ. This is the great passion we live for. The glory of our King. We follow Him for the sake of His glory. We endure suffering for the sake of His glory. We fight sin for the sake of His glory. We have seen in Christ that He is most beautiful. We are walking in fellowship with Him and we want with every breath for the world to see just a glimpse of Him as we live for the sake of His name. And let me just pause here and say that this is the only way to fight sin and endure suffering. Here's what I mean. If you try to fight sin from your flesh and from your shame, like you feel guilty, you don't like how it feels, you want to stop, rather than fight sin from a deep joy and hope in the beauty of the person and work of Jesus to glorify how amazing He is, you will find yourself caught in an endless cycle of sin and shame. Because what you will be, what you will be measuring it on is, is how well am I doing? Not am I glorifying Christ. And you'll either be prone to pride. I'm doing well. I don't need to be ashamed. I'm doing well. Or you'll be paralyzed with self-pity. I fell again. But when you do it for the glory of Christ, what happens? Lord, be glorified. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thanks for helping me say no where I normally say yes. And then when you fall, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the opportunity to repent and confess my sins and make this relationship right. And if you try to endure suffering with the end goal, anything but the glory of Christ, you will find yourself disoriented and doubting. If it's not about His glory in your suffering, if you don't know that's the end goal of all things, where will your anchor be? If your anchor doesn't hold within the veil, you will be a ship tossed to and fro in your suffering. So the key to this is to do what Hebrews 12 calls us to do, what Peter already prayed, what Bruce referenced in his welcome. Look to Jesus. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely so that we can run this race. In Jesus, we will see the seriousness of our sin and we'll see the sweetness of the glory of His grace. In Jesus, we see Him suffering for the joy set before Him and we follow in His footsteps empowered by the Spirit of glory. Live for the glory of God. Point number two, live in light of God's judgment. Look at verses 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey 
the gospel of God. And then he quotes here what is probably from Proverbs 11. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So I think what Peter is doing here is giving them a motivation. This is a four. Why ought we avoid sin? Why ought we live for the glory of God? Here's here's the reason. As those living at the end of all things, which we already talked about as the time between Jesus' first coming and His second coming, the judgment of God is near. And Peter wants us to see that God will judge the church in the world. That's the similarity. No one escapes judgment. Believers experience judgment as the loving discipline of a heavenly Father. Unbelievers experience it as the righteous judgment that leads to condemnation. We've already seen this, almost this exact same principle in chapter 1, verse 17. So I'll give you just a second to turn there so you can see how we've already seen this in Peter. Chapter 1, verse 17, Peter says, if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. If you remember that sermon, I said that God is a good Father. And the picture here in 117 and in our text is a, is a present judgment. right? A present judgment. He's always watching us as a righteous judge and His judgment works its way out in our lives as loving discipline. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11:31-32. 1 Corinthians 11:31-32 is in the context of here these believers are celebrating the Lord's Supper but but treating each other poorly in it, acting like there's different classes of Christians not waiting for one another. And here's what he says there. He says, "If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. You see the same principles here. There's a judgment and a discipline that saves us from condemnation as opposed to the world. And if we would say, well, oh good, loving discipline. It can't be that bad then. The reasons I go to 1 Corinthians 11 is because Paul says people are dying. That's how God's saving them from being condemned with the world. The gospel is not the good news that God stops caring if we sin once we have trusted in Jesus. That is not the gospel. That is a false gospel, and it's a popular gospel right now. The gospel is the good news that our sins are forgiven, cast as far as the east is from the west, and that we belong fully and freely and forever to our Father, but we do have a new Father who's watching us. It's the good news that our Father is always with us, always watching, and like any good Father, He will discipline us to keep us from throwing away our faith. And Peter says, that time is here. It's now. That time is here for you today. The judgment of God, His his watching judgment as a loving Father. Now that could sound mainly scary and awful. People were dying. 
so they could be saved from condemnation. It is serious. But for those of us who love God, it is actually a comforting thing meant to draw us into fellowship. I remember a table talk with Pastor John early in seminary, and I remember one of the things he said that he regularly prayed is, Lord, take me before I make a shipwreck of my faith. That's 1 Corinthians 11. That would be a mercy. As we walk as the household of God with the knowledge that our Father is watching and He will discipline us where necessary, it will lead us away from sin and into the arms of a Father who loves us. You kids that are listening right now, you know that if your, your parents are in the room or you know that they're watching, you're much less likely to do that silly or stupid thing that you want to do. And that's a mercy. That's not a killjoy. That's not an ugly thing. That's a beautiful thing that your parents care and they've set ways for you to live so that you can walk into grace and be safe. And as we experience His discipline, we don't need to wonder if it means He's against us. Instead, it's confirmation that He loves us and we're truly His children. Like this text teaches, His judgment on His church is His loving discipline that saves us. He will do whatever it takes to help us make it to glory. And while it's a good thing that He does that, it's meant to be motivation to live holy lives and to avoid sin. Don't go there. He'll discipline you. Don't do that like He's not watching. Don't continue in that sin like He doesn't love you enough to make something happen that's going to expose it and reveal it. It's a motivation. There's no other way to read the grammar in this text. And then more recently, we saw in verses 5 and 6 of 1 Peter 4 that God will judge those who do not believe with eternal righteous judgment. The righteous, those who believe the gospel, are scarcely saved. Those who sin against God trust themselves, go their own way, do not obey the gospel, do not receive Christ as Savior and Lord, will not be saved, but will be condemned. Just notice here that there's no room for pride in the Christian life. What is the difference in the judgments? You're better, you're holier, you're more spiritually sensitive or something. No, the difference is Jesus. That's what makes these outcomes different. There's no room for pride. It's all about the work of Jesus and the new birth of the Spirit who keeps working to make us aware of our Father and His purposes and plans. So as we live to shine the beauty of our King, we do so knowing that He will discipline us as a loving Father. And we do so with a watching world in mind, praying that our good deeds might cause them to ask us for a reason for the hope that's in us. Glorify God and be saved from condemnation themselves on the day of visitation. I think verses like this in the Bible are really important. I was thinking about this this week. And the reason I think they're really important is because it is unbelievably easy to live as though God is distant. And so when he matters is when you come in this room on Sunday morning or that 20 minutes in the morning where you get your coffee out and get your devotionals out, take your snapshot, put it on Instagram. 
as, as though those are the moments where God is near. But at work, or with your kids, or with your spouse later in the day, he's, he's distant. It's easy to forget that part of the good news of the gospel is that we now have a Father who loves us far too much as a church to let us continue walking our sin and just have everything be okay. He cares for our souls. This is an invitation in this word of discipline to meditate on the love of a Father who always has His eyes on us and is always working for our good. This is how invested He is. His eyes always on you, will never let you run away with your sin. He will discipline you. He will draw you back. And here's an invitation. Turn back now. Avoid the discipline. It's either turn back now and repent or receive discipline. It's an invitation to meditate on His love. And it's an invitation to meditate on the state of a world that is headed towards condemnation and needs to see an unashamed people living for the glory of their king and nothing else. If your main thought of the world right now is, oh, I hate them. So frustrating. Don't like Christians. All these horrible agendas. The difference between you and them is grace. You've been born again to a living hope. You've been saved by grace. They're headed towards eternal condemnation. How will you live your life so that they might ask for a reason for the hope that's in you? We remember who we are and then we live in light of our identity as citizens of the kingdom of God, remembering our Father is always watching and longing to shine the beauty we've seen in His Son to a watching world. So let's move to the application What I want to do is remind you again that we really need to view verses 12 to 19 as one section. So I want to review the main points of verses 12 to 19 as we look at verse 19. The main points are don't be surprised at suffering. Don't be surprised. It's going to come. This is a broken world, broken by sin. Rejoice as you share in your sufferings with Jesus. Don't suffer for sinful behaviors. Instead, live for the glory of God in light of His loving discipline. And in all of this, the Spirit will be with us, verse 14, to empower our rejoicing and obedience and our living for the glory of God. So how would Peter sum up this call on our lives? I think this is a summary of the Christian life. Verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good We share in Christ's sufferings by doing what Christ did. We entrust our souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Temptation will come. It's going to come. And temptation feels all the more pressing when you're suffering. Right? Suffering draws us near to God, but it has been my almost universal experience that when we're suffering, when our margin is less, when it's hardest, I'm also most prone to temptation. Running from God, giving in to sin, numbing my pain with all sorts of other things. Temptation will come. What kind of temptation? Temptation to general sin? Yes. But in this context, the temptation would be what we've talked about throughout this book of 1 Peter. The temptation to assimilate. Just give in to sinful culture so that you don't have to suffer. Like if I just give in and I'm just the same and I'm not different, I'm not going to be a target. Or the temptation to be aggressive. 
right? And, and fight sinful cancel culture with Christian cancel culture. Like, we hate cancel culture. Those people out there that do cancel culture, we hate them, so don't listen to them. Don't treat them like humans. That's just paradoxical. Or the temptation to simply avoid everyone and sin in our selfish self-protection. Just to huddle up, be super careful, and not interact with anyone else out there. But instead, the call through 1 Peter, and here in verse 19, is to put your ultimate trust in your faithful Creator and keep doing what He calls you to do in a broken world. Keep trusting Him. Keep leaning into your identity and your hope. Keep your eyes on your ultimate inheritance and your ultimate home and find rest for your soul. Bethlehem self. What good would it be if you gained the whole world, got all the right people elected, guaranteed your comforts would still be there, made sure we had our little slice of Christian heaven here on earth, and forfeited our souls? Be careful what you're hoping and be careful what you're trusting in. It's a slow fade. So the question is for us, are we practically daily trusting in God? And I say that again. I'm going to press you because if I asked you, any of you probably in this room, do you trust God? Say, yeah. You know I trust God. That's why I'm here. It's why we come to worship. But I mean, I want to press you because I know what you're saying when you say that. I want to press deeper. Do you daily in the practical things trust God? Not just for eternal life, but for every moment of this life. Do you run to God more than you Google? Do you long for face-to-face time with God every day more than Facebook? Do you long to see his kingdom come more than any other kingdom in this world? Are you consumed with his gospel and his kingdom and his purposes as your hope? Or are you consumed with good news of a particular party and their purposes as your hope? None of those things are bad unless they're ultimate. Judgment is here for the church now. He's watching. Where is our hope? Where is our joy? How will we respond in trials? Day by day, moment by moment, where is your practical trust? Not just, yes, I trust him for eternal life, and I come back once in a while to that truth, but moment by moment, in your practical moment by moment, trust is in God, then you should find yourself running to him often in these strange days pleading for help. Like, these days are hard, and they are strange, and we do need his help. And if you're not, that's okay. Here's the invitation. Run to Him now before He needs to discipline you and bring, him, bring you back into His love. Run to Him now. Repentance is such a sweet gift only available in Christ. Like what an amazing thing that if you've been running this way for weeks and months or running this way for weeks and months away from God, what is your call? Lord, forgive me help me. That's all. Because Jesus has paid for your sins. And here's what you'll find. As you entrust your soul to Him and draw near to Him, you will overflow 
with the fruit of the Spirit and an ability to engage this place we live in with humility and courage that proclaims Jesus as King. As you obey God and suffer according to His will, you will be able to do good in the midst of it. Just ask yourself, in my conversations, in my posts, in my phone calls, in everything else, is the main message the world hears from me, my King reigns. He's purchased me. He loves me. He's watching over me. I trust Him and I want you to see and love Him too. Is your main obvious allegiance and joy and hope in 2020 in Jesus Christ and Him crucified and raised from the dead? Let me end with an encouragement. You can trust Him with everything. You can. You can entrust your soul to Him because He's trustworthy. He will never let you down. With all the craziness of 2020, you can trust Him. With politics, you can trust Him. With a culture that's against you, you can trust Him. With your wayward child, you can trust Him. With your broken relationships that hurt, you can trust Him. With your diseases, you can trust Him. With your loneliness, you can trust Him. With your uncertain future, you can trust Him. He will bless you in suffering. He will keep you. He will turn His face toward you. He will help us live for His glory and fight sin and discipline us where we need it. Because of Jesus, our God is for us. And the Spirit of God and glory will be with us in our weeping and in our rejoicing to help us entrust our souls to our God while doing good. Our God is always with us. Nothing is ultimately up for grabs because our souls are in the strong and safe hands of our Father. Nothing can snatch you from His hands. Trust Him in suffering. Here's the invitation to lay aside every weight and sin as you look to Him. He will keep His promise by the Spirit to never leave us or forsake us. The invitation is to trust Him now, to remember your identity now, to change your itinerary now, to run to Him now, and He will have open arms and draw you and say, it's okay, I'm here, I'm with you. Let's move forward together. Live for my glory. Live for my name. His glory our joy in the midst of suffering, turning from sin, even now is the invitation of repentance. What a sweet gift it is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and now when we sin, Christ longs to fellowship with us again if we'll just turn and repent. Let me pray. So Father, we... We know our sin. We know our tendencies to run to other things. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. And Father, You know our sins even more. You know our hearts. You know the brokenness. You see it all. And we thank You that because of Jesus, You never leave us or forsake us. Because of Jesus, you promise to be a very present help in our time of need. Because of Jesus, you promise that your power will be made perfect in our weakness. Because of Jesus, our union with Christ is never broken. Our ultimate fellowship with you is never broken. And yet, oftentimes, we we run from you. We distance ourselves. And I pray in this moment that this people who's heard this word would draw near to you so that you would draw near to us. 
Help us turn again from sin, repent, and turn back to You. Lord, incline us to repent. Let us now our fall lament. And let us weep and sin no more. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.